0: I'm Shelley Schlender. This is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Today is Tuesday, November 22nd, 2016. Coming up, natural capitalism solutions leader Hunter Lovins will share an economic argument for why now's the time for cleaner energy.
1: The sci-fi writer William Gibson said the future's already here, it's just not widely distributed.
0: And we'll ask, can a comic book teach kids about science? That's the goal of a comic book titled Logicomics. Comics.
2: This uh, yeah. youngster Gödel in Vienna, he did erect the foundations of mathematics.
3: Interesting.
2: Thank and- you.
0: And now, some news about wind turbines. And now, some news about wind turbines from Alejandro de Soto.
4: Nature exhibits an amazing array of solutions to engineering problems that we humans often encounter, from energy production to reproduction to flight. So why not look to nature for inspiration? That is exactly what some researchers have recently done. Human-built aerodynamic devices, including wind turbines, airplanes, and automobiles, generate a lot of noise due to the flow of air over or through the devices. To reduce this noise, researchers at Lehigh University have looked at the physics of the wings of owls. Many species of owls are able to silently hunt by suppressing any noise above 1.6 kilohertz, which includes the frequencies which humans can hear. Microscopic photographs of the down of owl feathers show that the down consists of hairs that form a structure similar to that of a forest. The researchers found that this forest-like canopy in the down reduces the pressure fluctuations that generate noise. With this new information, the researchers were able to design and build a 3D-printed wing attachment that reduced the noise from a wind turbine by a factor of 10. So perhaps soon, our wind turbines and airplanes will sport these owl-inspired aerodynamic designs.
0: Thanks to Alejandro de Soto for that report. The Boulder History Museum's Mantle's Cave collection has been nominated for the 2016 Colorado's Most Significant Artifact. Mantle's Cave is a large, arching cave located in the northwest corner of Colorado near Dinosaur National Monument. In the early 1900s, a rancher named Charlie Mantle found Native American artifacts in the cave. He notified archaeologists, who determined that for over 1,000 years, Native Americans used Mantle Cave to store baskets, fishhooks, netting, plus some items of amazing beauty. One of the most stunning is a 1,000-year-old headdress made of flicker feathers. The flicker headdress is a dramatic, black and white. The white comes from ermine fur. The red and black, the red and black come from flicker tail feathers. The headdress has nearly 400 flicker feathers. You can see the Mantles Cave Collection at the Boulder History Museum. To see all the nominees for Colorado's Most Significant Artifact and cast your vote, go to the website collectioncare.auraria.edu. You're tuned to How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. I'm Shelley Schlender. In this time, when the president-elect is signaling that the U.S. government will relax environmental protection regulations and encourage more mining of fossil fuels, Hunter Lovins offers an economic argument for moving ahead with renewable energy. Hunter founded the Rocky Mountain Institute with her former husband, Amory Levins. Today, she does consulting work for nations around the world through Natural Capitalism Solutions, based in Longmont. Here's an excerpt from a speech Hunter Levins gave last year in Boulder about regenerative economics.
1: The prime minister of Bhutan, who a couple years ago called a number of us to Bhutan and said to me, Hunter, I want you to reinvent the global economy. It's like, me? But I pulled together some of the brightest minds I can find. Ashok Kosla, who runs Development Alternatives in India. Dr. Robert Costanza, Dr. Jacqueline Mcglade; Dr. Ida Kubashevsky. Together we've created a little group called ASAP, Alliance for Sustainability and Prosperity. John Fullerton. John was 18 years at J.P. Morgan. He walked away in 2001, left as managing director. He just walked away. He said, this isn't right. And on a bright September day, he went down to Wall Street to see some of his buddies. And along about Canal Street, somebody said they just flew a plane into one of the towers. And he emerged to see the other one come down and started walking north. Took him all day to get home. Built a room in his barn and started reading, read Limits to Growth, read E.F. Schumacher, read Herman Daly, read Natural Capitalism. About three years ago, he created a little group called Capital Institute to try to transform finance. He said, I know finance, and it, it is what is driving all of the impact that we're seeing. He said, impact investing, all investment has impact. So he and I wrote a little piece in Fast Company that you can get if you want the shorthand version of it. One of the things that he said is, here's here's the situation today. We, the planet people, are in service to the economy. So after 9-11, our president said, go shopping. Tom Friedman said, isn't there something more you could ask of the American people? But it's true. We exist to serve the economy, which exists to serve finance. We are very efficient at flowing money to the top. What's wrong with this picture? It's wrong way around. Finance is a tool to bring liquidity to a real economy which is in service to life. John has laid out eight principles of what he calls regenerative capitalism. And you can go to the Capital Institute website and download this document. Right relationship. This owes back to Bob Costanza, another of the fathers of ecological economics, who says the economy exists within society which exists within the biosphere. Wealth is more than money. It's community. It's knowing who you can go to for help. It's well-being. A regenerative system is inherently entrepreneurial. It's innovative. It adapts. The sci-fi writer William Gibson said, the future's already here, it's just not widely distributed. (laughs) We have all the technologies that we need to solve all of the problems facing us. Stanford professor named Tony Seba has a book out called Clean Disruption. He says the world will be 100% solar by 2030. Wow. He says because of four reasons. The fall in the price of solar, the fall in the price of energy storage, electric vehicles, and yes, that is my leaf sitting out there, and self-driving vehicles. How the world is changing. Little Tesla valued at more than half the market cap of General Motors, despite selling 300 times fewer cars. How is that possible? What is Tesla's business model? It's not a car company. Batteries, bingo. It's a battery company. And when you have affordable storage and a whole lot of solar, wind, other renewables, you have fixed firm power, that's the point at which solar wins.
0: That's Hunter Levins from a speech last year about regenerative economics. Hunter Levins is the head of Natural Capitalism Solutions, based in Longmont. We'll post an extended interview of this talk to our website, howonearthradio.org.
4: You're tuned to
3: How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. I'm Joel Parker. Up next... Is it possible to teach kids about science or math with a comic book? And not your regular superhero comic book, in this case, a graphic novel about things like set theory and the dawning of computer science. To find out, let's listen into a story about logic comics.
0: I'm Shelley Schlender. This is a story about how telling more stories might encourage more children to get excited about math and science. It begins when a book arrived at KGNU titled LogiComics, an epic search for truth, with a request for us to interview the author on our science show. LogiComics, though, did not look like a science book. It seemed more like a Tintin adventure, you know, the comic books about a boy named Tintin, his little dog Snowy, and Captain Haddock, who likes to yell, blistering barnacles, comic looks so unlike a science book. I decided to check it out with some experts on Tintin books. They're 10-year-old twins named Nora and Lee. I was going to ask them to read Logicomics, then tell me what they think. It turns out that Nora and Lee already had read it two years ago when they were eight. And Nora's favorite quote from Logicomics sounded, well, it sounded scientific.
3: Contrarywise, if it was so, it might be. And if it were so, it would be. But as it isn't, it ain't. That's logic.
0: The last bit Nora said is, as something isn't, it ain't. That's logic. And that is a scientific way to look at things. Nora's a bit hard to hear right there because her dad is busy setting up a way to record on his computer. We'll explain why in a minute. But first, here's 10-year-old Lee's choice from that cartoon book, Logicomics.
3: I'll tell you my favorite quote in the book. I said yes to you, every word until now!
0: After Lee said, what possessed you until now? Lee's dad asked him to elaborate.
3: Alfred North Whitehead, because he and Russell had a falling out.
0: It turned out that Lee was referring to a full-page spread in Logic Comics of two men yelling at each other, along with cartoon bubble narration that indicates one of those guys is a 20th century mathematician named Whitehead, and the other guy is someone named Bertie. Bertie, it turns out, was another mathematician. In fact, he was a famous math logician. His full name was Bertrand Russell. Here's Russell in a 1959 BBC interview about what he would like future generations to know.
3: Never let yourself be diverted, either by what you wish to believe or by what you think could have beneficent social effects if it were believed. But look only and solely at what are the facts.
0: In 1950, Russell had won a Nobel Prize for literature. By 1959, he seemed a gentle, grandfatherly guy, and his writing was often political, inspiring, and popular. Logicomics spans six decades of Russell's life, including an earlier time when he and Whitehead were writing Principia Mathematica. Legend has it that the first 100 pages of the Principia are devoted to proving that 1 plus 1 does indeed equal 2. From reading Logic Comics, Nora agreed with her brother that writing all that made Whitehead and Russell cranky.
3: They've been working so hard, and Russell's been re examining the basics of everything they know and trying to prove it, even though it's already been proved a million times. And Whitehead's just so mad that he hasn't given any care to Eric since he could barely count to three.
0: Eric, by the way, was Whitehead's son, and it troubled Nora to read how Whitehead neglected him. As you can see, Nora and Lee really do know a lot about Logicomics, whose topic is science and the lives of scientists. So, we accepted the invitation from Logicomics to interview one of their authors on the KGNU Science Show. With a twist. We asked if the twins could do the interview. One of the authors said yes. His name is Christos Papadimitriou, And as we checked him out, we learned that among academics, he's famous for his textbook on computational complexity. Christos is one of the world's great leaders in math and computer science. Since Nora and Lee live in St. Paul, and Christos teaches at UC Berkeley, we arranged to do the interview on computer via Skype with the help of Nora and Lee's dad. Before it began, the big question for the 10-year-olds was, should Nora and Lee conduct the interview together?
3: I think one at a time it'd work best. Yes, me first and then Nora next. Are you okay with that, Nora? Yep, I'm fine.
1: <laughs> I think he's ready. Good, 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 good. Okay, so Nora's first. No, Lee's. No, All right, Lee's first. Nora, don't get nervous. Where's my notes?
3: I'll, I'll hand you. Mm.
0: Suddenly, the computer displayed the grinning, black-bearded face of Christos Papa Dimitriou. Hello?
3: Hello. Hi. My name is Eamon Leeborn Turner.
2: Sorry, you have to spell it for me.
3: Lee, L-E-E.
0: Christos was born and raised in Greece. English is not his native language. Lee is 10 years old. Greek accents are not what he's familiar with. So there was a little getting acquainted they had to do.
3: I have some questions.
2: I'm sure you do.
3: Why did Birdie have the revelation that he was a logician in the hat shop?
2: Where did he have the revelation that he was a logician in the?
3: Hat shop.
2: Oh, in the hat shop. Of course, of course, of course. Um, well, have you read Alice in Wonderland?
3: I have read Alice in Wonderland.
2: Do you know about the Mad Hatter, then?
0: Christos told Lee that in Logi Comics, they depicted Russell realizing that he's a logician in a hat shop as an homage to the Mad Hatter. After all, in those days, madness was far too common among mathematical logicians and in the families of logicians. That included in the extended family of Bertie, that is, of Bertrand Russell. Russell had a sad and lonely childhood with sometimes terrible parenting. Russell found comfort against that sadness by studying logic and geometry, and these later became his career. All this is in comics, and some of it had worried Lee, who took a big breath and asked Christos this.
3: So anyway, I've heard that his family had a manifestation of mental illness. Mm Mm-hmm. And it came in his uncle.
2: Exactly. Yep. And, And this memory of his uncle haunted him throughout his life. Oh. He was afraid that he was going that way.
3: That's an interesting fact about Bertie's life.
2: And he, he didn't. Oh. But unfortunately, his son did, which is which is tragic also. Mm-hmm.
0: They talk some more about how some of the people in the book were better mathematicians than they were parents.
2: You can be a very clever man and uh, not understand how even the people you love most still.
0: Yep. Lee had used a lot of courage to ask these questions, so the next thing he said was this.
3: Anyway, goodbye.
0: (laughs) Lee's dad knows Lee well enough to know that when he says goodbye, he means it. He might be done. But Christos wanted to talk some more with Lee.
2: (laughs) Yes, yes. Uh, do Do you like math at school? Yeah, I
3: like math. I do subtraction.
2: Wow, you are in subtraction now. What grade are you? i I'm really curious that the book attracted your attention so much. What was the reason, you think? I know you are doing the interview, not me, but I thought I should ask you this question.
3: I like the paradox the best.
2: Wow. Okay. Okay.
0: Now, Comics is all done with Tintin-like drawings and cartoon balloons, but it's full of stuff like Russell's paradox, which is one of the earliest mathematical explanations of why a set of things cannot reference itself. In comics, the paradox goes like this. What if a village decrees that the barber shaves only those people in town who do not shave themselves? But then, who shaves the barber? It's
3: something about a village with a strict law on shaving, that every male has to shave daily, but for the ones who don't shave, there's a barber. And a man of a higher rank can be shaved by the man of a lower rank. can be shaved by the man of a lower rank. can be shaved by the man of a lower rank, which gets a bunch of hairy low rank guys. Right. And I think... That it's just funny.
2: Thank you. That's, that, that's actually a great compliment.
3: Thank you. Welcome, I mean.
0: After that, the conversation between Lee and the world-renowned complexity theorist Christos Papadimitriou delved even further into logic comics.
3: Why did Bertie have a dream that he would wreck the foundations of mathematics?
0: Christos replied that while the English logician Bertrand Russell worried about wrecking the foundations of mathematics, another younger logician ultimately did by challenging the popular concepts in the early 1900s that assumed that math would provide definite answers for everything.
2: This uh, youngster Gödel in Vienna, he did wreck the foundations of mathematics.
3: Interesting. Thank and you. Why did the publishers refuse to print the Principia Mathematica?
2: That was a really low point in the story, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, very humiliating. I mean, it's, uh, you can imagine.
0: They talked about how the Principia was so complicated, at first, Whitehead and Russell couldn't find anyone to read it, not even for pay. That's an interesting
4: fact.
3: Anyway, what inspired you to write this book?
0: Christos explained that the ideas that Bertrand Russell pushed ahead in the Principia Mathematica laid the foundations for people like Goodall to make further contributions for what's near and dear to Christos's heart, computers. And computer science.
2: All my life I admire these people. It's always fascinating to me when um, uh, somebody dedicates their life to do something hard that nobody else have dared uh, try before. You know, these people that we wrote about were legends. We were very attracted to the story, but also we sort of try to explain in the huh? doning computer era you know because uh, out of this investigation failed as it was the computer started 10 years after uh, the end of the action in logicomics the computer came out of uh, the ashes of the second world war
3: anyway i myself think that the end is kind of weird the part about the play called the orchestra
0: Lee was correct that Logicomics ends with a classic Greek play about how a young man who tries to obey the gods gets caught in a double bind and is tormented by howling goddesses called the Furies. The play shows the transformation of madness and fury into wisdom. That happens to be what Bertrand Russell strived for throughout his life, and that's an interesting layer of Logicomics, the side of teaching about character of people and how to treat people and how to turn things like sadness and worry and rage into something marvelous. However, that Greek play that Lee called the orchestra actually has a different name.
2: Orestia. Yes, it is a little weird, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, it's a fascinating story. Yep. Maybe one day you you read it all. It's not a big play. Yep. Boy, it's your turn.
3: Anyway, I'm turning over the narration to my sister, Nora Elizabeth Byrne-Turner. Thank you. You're welcome. Nora. Um, yes. Hi. Nice to meet you. Hello, Nora. Um, it's nice to meet you.
2: Very nice to meet you.
3: Yep. What happened to Russell's friend, Moore? He just disappeared and reappears. What happens to him in the time he's disappeared?
2: He he became a very, very important mathematician, philosopher, logician. So uh-huh. he, yeah, except that we didn't find the meaningful ways to engage him further in the, in the story. Okay. You liked especially more?
3: Yeah, seems like a pretty nice guy.
0: Christos and Nora talked a long while about the people Bertrand met in real life or in his writings or in his conversations with other scientists. Then finally, Nora shrugged her shoulders.
2: I'm out of questions. You had a lot of questions. So you beautiful questions.
0: As for why a great computational complexity expert such as Christos Papadimitriou enjoyed being interviewed by 10-year-olds, later he talked about it with a young physicist named Amory. Ah. Amory is the older cousin of Nora and Lee.
3: You talked with Amon Lee Turner and his twin sister Nora. Were you surprised that kids that young had been reading your book?
2: I was stunned by how well and deeply they understood what was written but also I was occasionally surprised with the creative, new, unfaithful ways in which they they, they interpreted, you know, both of them.
0: Christos added that these days, educators do most of their teaching with textbooks such as his famous Computational Complexity. He's well known for that, but he spent eight years creating logic comics because he thinks stories matter too.
2: Unfortunately, we don't use uh, stories universities and schools and so on, is a rather recent experiment. What, a thousand years old? Before that, all information was communicated through stories. Some kids are looking
3: for heroes that match them. Little boys that are good at sports like sports stars. But kids that are more attractive to, say, math, you don't find a lot of heroes. Was that part of
2: your...? Yes. I hope to plant the seed in some young person's mind that. It is possible to choose intellectual quests bigger than yourselves. I just want to show them there is a universe where people don't, you know, forget this little incremental game. They uh, confront basic, important problems and change the world. So, I assume you haven't read Principia Mathematica. I have lived through it many times. Uh-huh. <laughs> Principia Mathematica is, uh, is the work of uh, obsessed men. It is a monument. Look at it not as mathematical information, but, but as uh, evidence of something historic.
0: Back in St. Paul, before the 10 year olds had signed off with Christos, Their dad mentioned an idea that Nora got from a little drawing on page 92 of Logic Comics that seemed to indicate that A plus A can sometimes equal A.
2: Did you tell me that Nora solved this equation, A plus A equals zero, A equals A?
1: Well, she was mentioning it in the car, and she said it was a really neat idea. It was out of the blue, and uh, I was impressed to hear her uh, speak
0: that.
2: I'm very impressed to hear that, too.
0: As for why Lee and Nora decided to read Logic Comics when they were eight years old, Lee explained that they were drawn to the pictures and the dialogue.
3: It looked like a Tintin or an Asterix book, but I didn't know if it's strong mathematical content. <laughs> until after, until a few hours later. It bombarded, it bombarded me with Mathematics and turned me into the Hulk of
0: mathematics. <laughs> <laughs> when Lee said that Logic Comics turned him into the Hulk of mathematics, Christos Papadimitriou gave this reply.
2: Yeah, it, it's a sneaky book, yes. It, it, uh, it starts with, as a story and ends up as a math book. When I was writing this book, uh-huh. my dream was that somebody like you would read it.
3: Uh-huh.
2: I'm really delighted that you, that you have.
3: Yes, um, thank you.
0: And that's the end of this story, except perhaps for a reminder of an issue that's big, at least among educators. Right now, U.S. children are falling behind many parts of the world in math and science. To get them back on board, there are textbooks, there are computer games, and standardized tests. What about a few more sneaky stories that inspire children to start a quest Maybe a quest about math. Maybe a quest about science. For How on Earth, I'm Shelly
2: Schlender. <laughs> right. Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye, Nora. Bye.
3: Thank you. Bye.
4: That book is Logicomics, an epic search for truth. Thanks to Shelley, Christos Papadimitriou,
3: Nora, Lee, and their dad and Amory for helping with that report
0: that's all for this edition of how on earth our executive producer is Beth Bennett I produced and engineered today's show additional contributions from Alejandro de Soto and Joel Parker our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler Additional music from Nobukasu Takamuru. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments? Call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Shelley Schlender.